where we set up the, uh, the Facebook stream. Well, good morning, evening, afternoon, as may be the case for any of you. Nice to be with you. Um, nothing too much out of the ordinary this week for myself here and my staff at Odaria, although we were dragged a little bit into a controversy regarding the nature of bhakti in terms of whether it's inherent in the jiva or not. Some devotees seemed adamant that it was not, that it was inherent in the jiva and they attacked Padmanabh Maharaj, which served to give publicity to his forthcoming book. <laughs> it retires the, the opposition entirely, but um, Uh, that was uh, a little exciting and a little disappointing to see how um, persons can be attached and emotionally um, charged over an issue to the point that uh, they can't discuss it dispassionately and rationally and and uh, and so forth. It was some of the opposition was a couple of followers of Narayan Maharaj who take it sannyas from him and are separated from the main their their main group as well. Um, it's a pity. But um, as I say, I think it served as some publicity for Maharaj's book. So that's good. Yeah, no, that's that's great. And that is good. All right. So what about questions? Yeah, we have, so far we have four questions, but um, you know, there's always chance for more devotees that put stuff in the chat and it will grow. I'm sure we'll probably get a few more questions. So um, to start with, we have Sumati right here that has a question. Okay. So, um, we're always being taught to accept Krishna as our only maintainer and protector. And um, Draupadi is usually given as an example of one who, um, you know, fully called out and cried to Krishna for help when she was in the assembly of the Kurus and they were trying to um, disrobe her. And then there's also the you know, the residents of Braj when Indra sent the Shambhataka clouds to destroy Govardhan and all the residents of Braj. So they all called out to Krishna to help them. Then at the same time, I've read where a devotee doesn't ask Krishna for help. You shouldn't ask Krishna for help. So I was wondering if you could comment on those. Yes, Goptritve uh, Varanam Tata. This is uh, one of the uh, um, limbs of Sharanagati. There are six limbs to what constitutes Sharanagati or, or surrender. 
Sharanagati is a, is a major aspect of the Ramanuja Sampradaya. It's thought only certain qualified people can practice bhakti yoga who have gone through karma and gyan, but ordinary people can do Sharanagati and attain Vaikuntha. Uh, uh, um, and uh, for in, in our Sampradaya, Sharanagati is uh, thought to be an anga, a limb of bhakti. Hmm? And Bhaktivinoda Thakur emphasized Sharanagati, wrote many poems about it and so forth. Um, he also uh, very insightfully explained Sharanagati to be the outer expression of one's inner faith, which is the driving uh, force in one sense, uh, initial force in one's uh, beginning the, the, the path of bhakti. So within Sharanagati, go putri thinking that Krishna is my maintainer, hmm? um, is one of the angas, and it's the central anga, so it's thought to be the sarup lakshan, or the primary characteristic of Sharanagati, the others being marginal or secondary, supportive, so to speak. Um, and, um, the Gordon Leela that you mentioned is a nice example of how the Premikas of, of Braj uh, demonstrate their Sharanagati hmm, by taking shelter of Krishna at the time when there wasn't much else they could do. Hmm. So um, I think that uh, it's, it's important also to bring into the conversation or the, the discussion, the answer, um, the English adage, God helps him who helps himself. Now, how does that work in relation to, we should think only Krishna as our maintainer. Hmm? So I, I think that uh, what we see in the lives of great devotees is how to apply certain um, theoretical positions um, that we find in the philosophy. And we find that they make endeavor hmm, uh, to one extent or another to uh, provide for themselves and not ask God, if you will, to provide for them um, and then um, they don't, um, should they not acquire something or less than might be desired, they, they're resolved to live with that, that this is the result that Krishna is providing only this much. I made this effort, I thought this was reasonable, this is what he provided, I, I live with it and my ability to practice sadhana is not inhibited by that. In fact, there may be an impetus from it, from getting less or having to change my situation and so on and so forth. So instead of fighting back against the current, so to speak, I think there's a place to um, harmonize these two ideas. Um, uh, if something comes to mind as, a, as we speak about this, kind of along these lines, it's kind of funny, but Prabhupada used to say what 
some old man comes to Vrindavan to surrender to Krishna. And um, he gives all his money to his family and everything and just comes to Vrindavan. And Prabhupada says, Krishna says, where's your money? Hmm. Oh, I gave it to my family, to my kids. And you come here and expect me to take care of you? And you gave all your money to them? Hmm. So uh, <laughs> Prabhupada <laughs> didn't, uh, commented in a humorous way um, along those lines. I mean, they think the money was provided by Krishna ultimately. Anyway, so it's his, should be given to him. So I think there's some place for um, making a reasonable effort to maintain oneself and not being outside of the principle of um, depending on Krishna for my maintenance. Mm -hmm. In other words, what I get, I'll accept that. Mm -hmm. That Krishna has provided that. Not that I do nothing. Mm -hmm. and, and, and Krishna will do will come and feed me. And so now if you can sit like Madhavindrapuri and just chant all day long, then it's possible that Krishna will come personally. He told Madhavindrapuri that here I'm, I'm bringing you some milk. And who are you? I'm a, I live here. This is my, my, my neighborhood and my property. And um, some people, they... Um, grow food. Some people only beg food. Hmm. And some people like you, they're living on the chanting, but I think you need to eat. So I bring them food. Hmm. So look at that example. Some people grow food. Okay, that's your typical householder in an agrarian uh, culture. So there's a place for that and still being a Sharanagata. I, I planted the seeds. I watered the crops, I did everything, and this is the yield we got. Or it didn't rain this year much, got a smaller yield, we live with less. Hmm. Uh, Krishna's, this is what Krishna provided. Go to the next level, you have a, a, a Nirapeksha, a, a, a renunciate, who is not growing food, but he's begging. Hmm. So is he not a Sharanagata? Is he not depending on Krishna for his maintenance? If he is, why is he begging? No, he's begging whenever whatever comes. He accepts that, that, that. So he's made an effort. God helps him, who helps himself. He's made an effort. And Krishna's responding and accepts accordingly. Some days he may get nothing. Some days he may get a feast. But he has to go out and do the begging. Then some people may forget about eating. It's said by Srinivas Charja about the Goswamis. They forgot to eat and sleep. And they chanted regularly their prescribed number of rounds and, and so forth. Or again, to go to the example of Madhavendrapuri. So there's the superlative status and Krishna's coming and bringing him milk right so if you enter into Goloka well you don't have to work Krishna's maintaining everyone there still people are busy <laughs> right 
in so many ways, uh, all related to his service, of course. So, um, so that's related to your question, but directly your question is, well, we're supposed to depend on Krishna, we're not supposed to ask Krishna for anything. Hmm. Um, I think that um, there is a place for asking Krishna for anything and everything. Whatever you want, better to ask Krishna than anybody else. Hmm. Um, you may be asking someone who could give much more hmm, uh, than what you ask for and be a little foolish, but at least you approached Krishna. Hmm. And as I often say, we develop the tendency to approach Krishna and depend upon him, ask him to support us, that what we're really getting is the tendency to take shelter of Krishna. So I think there's a, a place for that. And, you know, I think also devotees um, like yourself, you know, you, you, you want to have a, a, just basically what you need to do your spiritual practice, especially at your age and so forth. And, and uh, um, ask Krishna to provide you, a, for example, a, a situation that's suitable that you can remember him and, and not be distracted by that's perfectly, perfectly reasonable and uh, not outside of the boundaries of being a, being a Sharanagata. If he doesn't, or whatever he does then, provide, well, we, 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 we'll go with that. Does that help? Yes, thank you so much. Okay. Um, Shama Sundar, the next question is Govinda Dasi. She has a question, so if you could... Gamaraj, you'll need to, yeah, you'll need to repeat the question in English for the devotees who are on Facebook. If you. Mm. Okay, well, yeah, the question seems to be um, about Pratishta and the implications of Pratishta. And to be quite honest, it's not entirely clear what the, what the question is there. Um, Yeah, she seems to be asking also that that sometimes 
She said, Pratishta is confused with mercy. I'm not sure what that means. Maybe she means that you get a position within a Sangha, hmm, mm. which is mercy, but it could be lend itself to Pratishta or something like that. So it's not entirely clear to me um, exactly what the question is, but Pratishta is a is uh, of course it means you know self pride and um, and uh, the desire for self aggrandizement no uh-huh Oh, no. um, uh, the desire for self-aggrandizement to bring it to bring attention to oneself. Um, uh, this is uh, um, very much, uh, I, I would say, um, kind of central to our material uh, conditioning. Um, and so it's it's difficult to to uproot. I think maybe perhaps Bhakti Vinod has, has um, thought of it as that from which all other anarth other anarthas you know arise, something to that effect. I think he may have said that somewhere. Um, I believe in his Manasiksha, Rabindranath Goswami calls out Pratishta and refers to it as the stool of a pig. The implication being that pigs eat stool, what their stool must be like. Hmm? So how undesirable um, it is to, you know, to, to want to draw attention to oneself. And, and um, it's, it's also uh, thought to be, in one sense, um, something that can arise in the context of bhakti just as weeds can arise when you're watering a plant. So when you're watering through practice, the, uh, the vine of bhakti, if you will, it's, um, it's possible that the weed of pratishta can grow along with it and then be misidentified hmm, by the practitioner um, with the creeper of bhakti. And then you've got, you know, that, that's a real problem. Hmm? So we may think, uh, someone may th think the goal is to become the temple president, you know, to become the, the best uh, kirtanir. Hmm. And, uh, and, uh, and and bring attention, you know, to oneself or get some sense of fulfillment if from that, hmm, that others think I'm a great singer, others think I'm the best Madunga player, or I'm the best speaker, hmm, um, writer, uh, whatever may be the case. And you can ride on those waves, if you will. Hmm. And um, um, misidentify that with the bhakti creeper itself. So that needs to be um, 
uprooted. And, uh, you know, it's a formidable uh, task, as I said in the beginning, given that it's our, our material existence is so kind of rooted in, 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 in a sense, wanting to be or thinking of oneself as the center. It's not that people go around all day long thinking, I'm the center, I'm the center. But we, we, we have a sense that I am, I exist, and then the world is moving around me. Hmm. Uh, obviously we know there are other forces and so forth but still we see everything from our vantage point and so on um, and um, uh, and uh, so we're very I want to say self-centered hmm? and that's the opposite of being you know Krishna-centered so the self-centeredness that is um, basic to or central to material conditioning Obviously, in the, in the human form of life, lends itself to this false pride. Hmm? So, looking at it like that, as I say, it's a very deep-rooted um, issue, and you know, difficult to uproot. And therefore, considerable emphasis has been placed placed on it to to identify it and uh, and uh, not. Um, misidentify it for for bhakti to see yourself doing so because you've read the text and it says this can happen and then check yourself and so forth so um i and given given again given the question i'm not exactly sure if there's a specific question i just want me to talk about partition in general i've tried to do that um uh, here a little bit. I hope that's helpful. If there's a further point that you want me to address that uh, that hasn't been that well articulated by yourself, but uh, would, nonetheless you would like me to, you can ask further or post a you know a, a comment, and I'll try to address it. Okay. Next question. Okay, um, Eric. Janava Pranams. Uh, good morning, Maharaj. Nice to see you. Morning. Um, so my question is regarding some statements I remember from reading your edition of Tattva Sandarbha. So there was a passage where you said no sound can exist outside of the sky. Similarly, no knowledge or shabda can be experienced outside of that which manifests in the mind of Yas, the Veda. To appreciate this, one must study the Vedas wherein one will find that even the modern conveniences of our high-tech times are discussed therein, albeit in different terms and brought about by different means. So I was a bit confused after reading this as I've also heard you mention in uh, other instances that the Vedic literature is, you know, couched in and per presented in a particular time and circumstance and therefore has some relativity to it, that it doesn't necessarily pre literally present all knowledge of everything about, you know, like, for example, material topics of history, material science, etc. but that through the understandings and language of the time, uh, the ultimate essence of all knowledge or knowledge about Krishna 
uh, you know, is is revealed. And after coming to know that, you know, one feels that there's nothing more that needs to be known. So uh, kind of in relation to this, I think I also heard you say something about um, something along the lines of they were not very concerned about what is the nature of the natural world. So they spoke about it in ways that appear to us in modern times as if they were uninformed about the natural world. They only saw the natural world as useful in terms of how you could interact with it or think about it in such that it would foster understanding of the subjective world or consciousness. Um, so could you please clarify and uh, harmonize these statements uh, that I've heard just, yeah, thank you. Yes, um, I think that the statement in the, in the Tutfus and Darbar that you refer to, that um, in a way seems to contradict other things that I've said, is um, talking in a more broad um, way um, about the Eastern revelation um, comparatively, um, for example, to other forms of revelation, the, the, the Western Christian or Abrahamic uh, revelations, in that the, in a broader sense, the texts, um, yes, they don't give every detail, but um, they speak, for example, of longer, much longer periods of time, you know, than 6,000 years, or, you know, that court, they, they talk about inflating and, uh, and uh, or expanding and contracting universes, cyclical time, uh, in, in broad terms, poetic terms often, but in ways that do correspond, uh, um, interestingly, uh, to uh, uh, findings, thoughts, objective ob observances in, in modern science about the nature of uh, the world. They don't go into detail about everything, but in as far as a body of revelation goes, uh, there, uh, uh, this is one thing you'll find in the, in the sky of the mind of Fias, if you will, that you won't find in other forms of revelation. And um, there are any number of um, people in astrophysics or um, other fields of modern science that would acknowledge that, you know, to some extent, yes, that's the case um, comparatively. So it's not that everything's there, but there's something can be said that, that, that uh, a, a comprehensive idea about the nature of existence is found there that does include some material details compared to you know, you're not going to find them in the Bible. You're not going to find them in the, in the, in the Quran or the Lotus Sutra of the Buddhists. Um, um, and uh, while you might find some things in some Native American texts about the nature of the world, they don't conform in a way that um, um, things found, ideas found in, um, in, in the Vedic text, the Eastern Revelation do. So something along those lines. Does that help? Yes, uh, thank you very much, Maharaj. Okay. okay, Indra has a couple questions in the chat. I'm gonna let her unmute herself and ask her questions. 
Hare Krishna. Um, yeah, I have a follow-up question um, from what um, Govinda Dasi was asking, uh, talking about Pratishta. Um, there's something called the Prana Pratishta ceremony, so I was always wondering about why is it called that? Well, Pratishta means sta like standing. Hmm? So let's look, you want to have standing, you want to have a position. Hmm? So to bring the pran into the deity. That's what pran pratishta is, to bring the deity to life, to give him some standing. It's a different use of the word. Pratishta can mean pride, but it doesn't mean pride in the context of the pran pratishta ceremony. We're not, um, of course, we're bringing attention to Krishna. You could look at it like that. That should be done. Cool. Thank you. And I have a, a second question. Mm -hmm. um, can, may I? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that was just like recently, um, like a devotee friend of mine, she said, oh, yeah, and I have this Tulsi, really beautiful. And she's uh, um, picking the leaves and then she adds well, she offers them to Krishna and then she adds it to her own like herbal infusion. And so some of us were like, no, 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 don't do this. And others were saying, well, as long as they're offered, it's okay. It's different when you just buy Tulsi tea uh, from like the store, which is, well, kind of terrible. But I was just wondering, like, is it okay the way she's doing it? Or shouldn't you be just not doing this at all? What's your... Um, well, Tulsi has, has many, many purposes. Some say she has medicinal... Um, qualities and so forth. I don't know if that's true or not or to what extent, um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't fault her for that. Hmm? I wouldn't fault her from that. Um, yeah, I don't see any harm. Simple, Simple answer. answer. Okay, thank you, that helps. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I have a question. Um, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, it's from, I was listening to um, a, a recent um, talk from Padmanabha Swami, and he was talking about Madhavendra Puri, and someone had asked what his identity was in Krishna Leela. And um, Maharaj had responded that some texts say that he is a culp of riksha tree. So um, I, I would very much like to hear what you have to say because I've asked questions before about the dumb bossies, the trees, the, and you've talked about it more of it being expansion of Balaram's potency, the Sandini potency. And so anyway, if you could, could speak on that. Well, I'd first I'd like to say that, that it's, it's not, um, that I don't think that the identities of the devotees of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in terms of their, uh, their, 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 their Raja Leela, Swaroops, the, the identification, this one is that one, and so forth, is that hard and fast, if you will, or that um, literal, as some devotees take it. If you look at the principal book, 
in which those identities are made, Kavi Karnapur makes it very clear that he gathered his opinion from hearing from different devotees and researching different texts and Puranas and so forth. And, and that there are different opinions about the same, same person. And uh, he doesn't have a problem, you know, with that. Um, the, the general idea though, is that, is it, is it, that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Krishna is coming and coming with his associates. That's the general idea. And some of them may be more precise and, and, and there may be, let's say, more praman, more evidence uh, in support of than others. Hmm? Um, I mean, I don't know, what can you say? Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Chaitanya Charitamrita said Ramana Roy is, uh, is, is Arjun. You know, so other people said other things. Like, what could be better source than Chaitanya Mahaprabhu? But then, what did he mean when he said it? Hmm? Was he saying it, you know, in a definitive way that in a previous life you were such, an, you know, or is he just comparing him, you know, uh, and so on? So you know, there are different opinions. Some say he's Vishaka, some say he's Lalita, some say he's Arjuniya, and uh, he's a particularly interesting one. Uh, uh, in that regard, it, then you have also some, you know, century or so later, Vishwanath Chakravarti wrote a, a book uh, just like Vikarnapur's Goranga um, something. I have it here. I forget. But he goes through all the associates in Gorlila, a great number of them, and says who they are. And Krishna Leela doesn't. He has different opinions about some hmm, from Vikarnapur. So that's the, the first. Uh, point. Mm -hmm. To say that Madhavendra Puri is a Kalpa Briksha, I believe is more to say that he, that he is a wish-fulfilling devotee who is bringing the, the, the teaching of Mahaprabhu, you know, in, in a sampradaya. The ideas of Mahaprabhu, that, that what he is about, is not something that, that um, was unknown entirely, but uh, to make it well known and clearly known and, and, and distributed in a systematic way. That's what a Sampradaya does and Bhadavendra Puri has a significant role in that regard. Uh, it's, that said, it's, it's obvious from the uh, lament at, at the, near the time of his passing that is related in Chaitanya Charitamrita that his ideal is Madhuri Rasa. Now, the creepers and are often in 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 in, in Brudge identified with uh, Madhuri Rasa, as far as a Kalpa Briksha wish fulfilling tree. Uh, I, I'm, I don't remember what they might be identified with per se, but he's definitely a, a Madhuri Rasa Bhakta, and you could tell from his from his aspiration there. He's he's. Uh, he's, he's, he's feeling separation uh, from um, Krishna in the mood uh, of the gopis. Hmm? Um, so he's in Gopi Bhav. To say that he's a Kalpa Briksha is to say, well, I don't know particularly what gopi is, but he's in Bhav and he's a, a Kalpa Briksha. He's everything, all your wishes can be fulfilled you know, for the highest ideal, you know, through him and the Sampradaya that he is, you know, the, the kind of the, the 
you know, would say Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was the founder, but you know, he took initiation from the Beach for Puri, for Puri from Madhavendra Puri. So kind of, he's the founder in that sense. Does that help? It does. I just, I guess the follow-up would be then in I in Raj, then does do, do tree, trees have a rasa besides a a Shanta Ross or a, I mean, they actually could be in a different. But, but like I said, the, the vines are thought to all be in. Right. In Maria Rasa, the hills are thought to be in Sakya Rasa, the cows in Vatsali Rasa. Um, trees, I, I, they're, they're thought to be, um, and Krishna himself speaks about it in the uh, chapter where um, the um, Brahman's wives are given his immature, given the blessings. So there's a nice section there where Krishna speaks about the virtues of trees. They're giving nature, uh, how they provide. In Shikshastakam, we find the example of the tree as a provider, as a uh, tolerant, and his tolerance reaches the point of, of even providing for people who, who are chopping him down, giving them shade, uh, giving that person shade even, even when they do so um, and so forth. So givers um, is, is the idea. Um, I don't remember, and I think I said this earlier, I don't remember what anybody has said other than that about the trees are in this rasa, you know, that, that we don't, um, uh, but that there have been things said, as I say, about vines and flowers and hills and so forth. And these are kind of feelings from um, advanced devotees. Uh, Bhakti Siddhanta gave us some different perspective on some of the so-called inanimate objects, if you will, uh, which aren't inanimate, but <laughs> in Braj, then uh, Vishwanath Chakvati Thakur. Um, so there are some feelings that may come in devotees and, and uh, there may be a place for looking at that in different, in different from different angles of vision. Trees of Brudge, Kijai. Kijai. <laughs> okay, um, Shamasindra, it looks like you have another question. Is that?
So the question is about the fifth note of Krishna's flute. And um, whether I can say anything about other notes in Krishna's flute. Um, yes. Um, of course, um, I would say that um, Krishna is playing many notes, you know, uh, different ragas. Um, his flute playing is um, described as being different from any other flute player. Um, so it's not ordinary fluting, if you will. Um, even when he plays the uh, ragas appropriate for different times and so on and so forth. Um, there's an idea in um, Indian music that uh, as it is, I suppose, in all schools of music that, that, that music has, you know, corresponds with emotions and moods. And so there's, there's, there's music for this mood or music for that mood and so forth. But it's really seems to be extended in, um, in um, Indian classical music. Um, and so expertise in uh, classical Indian music, professing thought to be able to bring about certain uh, transformations within nature, like the Malaraya Raga, Mega Malara, it's sometimes called. Uh, Mega means cloud. It's, it's thought that if it's played right, it can, it can cause rain. Um, um, so, of course, when Krishna plays it, it then everyone weeps and the trees uh, exude honey and and, and so on and so forth. Um, so um, his expertise, I want to say, in playing the flute exceeds anything that anybody's ever heard, and even amongst the devas and the gandharvas um, and so on. Um, the fifth note, um, prema, you know, panchamaswara, it, you know, the perfect fifth, that's something that is... Um, uh, understood also in, uh, in, 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 in Western music. Um, but uh, the fifth note of Krishna's flute is uh, identified with hasya and uh, madhurya rasas. And the whole of Krishna Leela, in one sense, is a romantic comedy. Mm -hmm. If you study it carefully, um, you could put it in that 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 genre, the joking amongst the cowards and the, and the gopis and all the play for love and all the 
interlude interaction between gopis and and krishna and his, and his intimate friends and so forth the back and forth and all it's all the play uh and humorous um um full of subtle uh, uh joking and so on and so forth um in and around the pursuit of madhurya between radha and krishna and for the union of of radha and krishna so you know the fifth note has perhaps been signaled singled out for that reason as far as the other single notes i think it is mentioned um somewhere that different notes had different effects on for example the 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 water and the land which would uh change places the, the land would move like water and the water would be still like like the land um another note would affect the cows uh in uh, and so forth but i can't remember exactly where that has been um written but i think that um I just want to say that, and this is what I'm trying to say, that Krishna is not just playing one note. When in the context of you know putting so many notes together in in, in rag, and there are ragas, you know, for for his, um, um, for union, for separation, for um, uh, things outside of romantic uh, life uh, directly, and so on and so forth. So Krishna is playing um in different ways in different circumstances in different uh, situations affects different devotees in different ways and you have to go there to hear him it's beyond uh beyond explanation um i think i've written something about this let me see if i can find it for you uh, uh There's something, there's something about trees. Huh. I didn't, uh, but uh, no. That's uh, that's my thoughts on that for for, for the moment. Um, I hope that's helpful. find what I was looking for there to read something to you. I wrote a chapter with a large section about Krishna's flute. Um, mm. But uh, I didn't find it. I can look again. Might be nice to read. Let me see here. Um, No, we better go on to the next question. Okay. Sharda had made, I'm not sure if this is a question that she was asking for you or she said it's a general question on the chat. 
Um, Sharda, can you unmute yourself? Would you be able to? Hi, Paul. Hi, Hi Krishna. Pranam Hello. Maharaj. Um, it's just a general question, I think, because um, in one of the classes of the Sunday um, Beast classes in Sharanagati community, I'm in England, but apparently there um, they talked about, you know, the Lord being the supreme person and talking to him and seeing him. And it's just a general question about that, conversing with him in your mind or whatever. Um, you know, some of the devotees says, oh, you can't see the Lord in, until you go to his abode. Um, so, you know, it's just a general, you know, question, if you can say something for, you know, my husband was asking about this and, you know, he's in a he kind of like a, you know, an earlier stage of, you know, of, of knowledge about all of this. So, yeah, if you could um, say anything about that, I'd be very grateful. So I could tell about, about Talk, talking about, to Krishna or conversing with Krishna, whether it's in your mind or whether you can do, you know, he used to be a Christian, you know, he was a Christian for 40 years and, so, you know, I see, uh, right. you see what I mean? Yeah. It's this, you know, comparative kind of thing with Christianity mm -hmm. or other faiths, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Ramod Puri Goswami Maharaj, um, who had the opportunities to serve, um, he um, used to every night tell Krishna everything that he did. <laughs> I did this today, I did that today, I did this today, I did that today. Yeah. So there's some place for that. Um, and um, of course, you can't see Krishna with material eyes. Um, and experiencing with material senses, but we can spiritualize our senses by bringing our senses in touch with sense objects and then using those sense objects for the pleasure of Krishna. That will mm. Um, mm. cause them to take on a, a spiritual quality by mm. which we can um, then have a greater perception of Krishna. For example, mm. um, Without doing that, we may look at the deity and just think it's a stone. Hmm? Mm -hmm. But if we do do that, we may start to have some feeling for the deity, mm -hmm. feel the presence of Krishna there, and talk to him. Hmm? Mm -hmm. So in the form of the deity, Krishna is present. Um, for those who can't experience him internally. Hmm? Mm -hmm. Now, you don't have to go to Goloka to talk with him internally. But you have to go truly internal, which in order to do, there's a process. So that's what differentiates then this internal talking with God, so to speak, in our tradition from some other traditions um, where they don't have a method for actually um, withdrawing from the world of ordinary perception, interacting with desires in relation to it, and so on and so forth. So through the spiritual practice, gradually our desires for the external world start to wane hmm? because we're starting to get some inner tangible experience that corresponds with what the scriptures say we should experience. Um, and that 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 bliss, that encouragement, that a boss shadow 
of actual bhava um, is very encouraging, very confirming for the devotee. So as he or she progresses, they're actually turning, he or she's actually turned, the sadhaka is turning away from the outer world and their consciousness is turning inward. And as it does in higher stages of bhakti in this life, then they can have the darshan of Krishna internally in a meditative um, realm, if you will. And then that's for, I say, um, more devotees who, who are more adept. Prior to that, however, uh, the, 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 the archan, deity worship, is there to help devotees who are still preoccupied, who aren't contemplatives, or so, so are still preoccupied with the world of sense objects. The deity affords us the opportunity to be in touch with sense objects. If you want to go shopping, go. You can go to you know Bloomingdale's and shop for Krishna. <laughs> shop your heart out, you know. Buy a you know nice books for him or something, whatever. <laughs> well, uh, this is very, I want to say, like user friendly hmm, mm -hmm. as I'm talking about it. And uh, and then the, the the deity is the deity is really the heart of a great devotee who establishes a temple hmm, or under whose auspicious a temple auspicious a temple has been established and that the deity of his heart is in is there on the on the on the, on the altar for the students who can't access him within their heart yet because their heart has other things in it hmm, cluttering it other desires and so forth so here the, the deity is uh, is taken the throne and the students are able to worship him there in, in a way that simultaneously, simultaneously takes things out of the heart hmm, that are cluttering it. Hmm. Mm -hmm. So you begin to see the deity as, as not just a stone and treat him not just like a stone. He starts to reciprocate in that way. And then from external service in this way, internal service and experience can be derived. Hmm. And so in higher stages of of bhakti, like in Baba Bhakti, for example, then you, you, you then you, you know you could say he's having a conversation with God. There are books like Conversations with God, you know, out there, popular books and so forth. Those I wouldn't take those very, uh, very seriously. Those are quite pro problematic. So if you're going to have a conversation with God, then. Um, then you have to be pretty interested in to get his to get his attention, right? Mm -hmm. And so we have a practice for that. Does that help? Yes, thank you. Okay, uh, Krishna. In regards to your husband. Thank you, thank you. I will. Well, may I have a quick question? Could I ask before you leave yeah. us? Um, you mentioned that you were involved with a bit of a controversy. If it's helpful in any way, is that controversy available for us online to review? Uh, you could ask Dulal Chandra about it. I wasn't online with, for it, but uh, Dulal Chandra was. Uh, I don't think it went too, too far. It was rather acrimonious. Um, so, but, but you know Dulal, you can write to him if, if he has anything to forward to you. Um, 
but you know, there, there, there's not there's not much to be said. I mean, in opposition to the point, um, the point we 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 are making simply is that is that um, in places and at times, Bhakti Vinod Thakur said that Bhakti was inherent, and that the, the jiva has a swarup that's inherent. In other places, he said the opposite. Hmm? And um, so, well, there's a point right there. What, what's he saying? And then if we look back previous to him, to the founding of charters, we find consistently that, and for good philosophical reasons, bhakti's not inherent in the jiva. Bhakti's a, not a right, but a, but a blessing, um, and so on. Um, and um, then you're left with, well, in some places, Bhakti Vinodhakur said it like Jiva Goswami. In some places, he said it different. Why he said it different, we don't know. We, can, we could give a conjecture about that. Maybe that as a preaching strategy. People don't like the idea sometimes that Bhakti Vinod or Prabhupada or some current Acharya or any Acharya at any time had a preaching strategy. And they often respond like, oh, you're, you're saying he lied to us. No, we're, we're saying he had a preaching strategy. Uh, you can look uh, in uh, Bhakti Mnotakwa's books and how he wrote Jaiva Dharma in Bengali for the Hindu Bengali, Hindu and Muslim Bengali population and how he wrote Chaitanya Shikshamrita in English for English speaking people. And you can see that he has preaching strategies in there. Um, for example, if anyone would have a preaching strategy in the modern times, it would be Bhakti Vinod. Look at his, um, um, what was that famous book, uh, Krishna Samhita. <laughs> it's a whole preaching strategy. You know, how he explains, uh, you know, Ram, Leela, uh, you know, and Hanuman and the monkeys in terms of contemporary thought and um, and he acknowledges the Bhagavatam may be written in, in, in the sixth century in South India, that's a possibility. And if so, we think of it like this, and, you know, all kinds of things that he, he, he dealt with. So it's, it's reasonable to make the conjecture that maybe that's why he, he, he did that in certain places. Maybe not, maybe there's another explanation. I haven't heard one that, that is um, even been offered. Mm -hmm. um, but that's really a moot point. The point only is, what did the Goswamis say? Let's say Jiva Goswami, the Tattva Acharya of Gaudi Vaishnavism. He's written this Paramatma Sandarbha, several sections about the nature of the Jiva. And, um, and um, it's, it's, you know, it's very clear that the Bhakti, which is constituted with Krishna Surup Shakti, is not um, a part of the constitution of the Jiva. The Jiva is... Now, one of the things that I was told um, came up in this was every, you know, that's one reaction. Oh, it's a preaching strategy. We don't like that. But I mean, I, I just addressed that. The other thing was somebody said, I think it was this um, Urmila, I think you know her, God sister of yours, ours, that um, uh, she, she didn't want to read Padmanabhamar's books because it was a non-controversy, because both things are true. Okay. And she said that she read a paper by somebody named Gopinath Acharya, that uh, scholar that hasn't been published that demonstrated that. So which was the, what I didn't appreciate. Uh, um, that was sent to me 
by Duval. Uh, I think I didn't uh, really appreciate it. I mean, you, you chose to read somebody's paper on it and you chose not to read somebody else's paper on it. Um, and, you, and, you, and you've reached a conclusion. So Mars's conclusion is different. Maybe you should consider it. Um, but she went on to say um, that if you don't say that, that bhakti is inherent, and I think what she meant was if you don't say that the jiva, each jiva has a particular inclination towards a particular rasa, then you're promoting impersonalism. And um, nothing could be farther from the truth. Um, the interesting thing about in this regard is that Jiva Goswami's entire analysis of the jiva from one vantage point is for the explicit purpose of distinguishing his understanding of the Atma from that of, of Shankar, hmm? who's the classic classical impersonalist. Shankar says there is no delimited jiva or no jiva with boundaries. It's different from another jiva that eternally exists. He says there's only Brahman. Hmm? And the idea of the jiva is like if you take sky and you put it in an earthen pot, it's the sky and the earthen pot. Just break the earthen pot and you see there's no in, the individuality doesn't exist. There's the duality of, of two hmm? doesn't exist. There's only Brahman. Hmm? Now we don't agree with that. And Jiva Goswami's whole argument is, is, is in one sense against that, right? Hmm? At the same time, however, it's very clear throughout all the scriptures that the Jiva, the Atma, let's say the Atma, is like Brahman. There's a likeness between Atma and Brahman. That's just a fact. Hmm? What is Brahman? Brahman is the feature of Godhead without Vishesh, without qualities, without particulars. Hmm? Um, when you bring in the Sarup Shakti, then Brahman has qualities, form, leelas, and so forth. So when you, when you, so the, the jiva is, is similar. Hmm? Um, her arguments seem to be that, well, you're, you, you, it's impersonal because you're saying the jiva is not a person. Uh, jiva doesn't have to have a particular inclination towards one rasa or another, which would make each jiva, you know, inherently dasya rasa jivas, sakya rasa jivas, madhurya rasa jivas, which would bring into question the whole gift of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the blessing. Obviously, people are, and it would make God partial if the jivas come from God. Some of some get, some have, you know, Vaikuntha Swaroops. Some have Baloka, Dwarka. You know, why do why would he, he choose like this? So we say he's impartial. The jivas come from Paramatma. Paramatma is characterized by impartiality. Whereas Bhagavan is characterized by partiality towards his devotees. Hmm? The witness, Paramatma, equal. Hmm? So Brahman, Paramatma, Jiva is more like, hmm? um, more like Brahman. Um, but it doesn't have to have a particular spiritual inclination to be, you know, if you want to use the term, 
a person. Mm -hmm. It has personhood potential. And you cannot evaluate a thing or an entity independent of its potential. Mm -hmm. So the jiva is, is dynamic. It's, its characteristic is adaptability. It can adapt to the material environment. It can adapt to the spiritual environment. What does that adaptation mean? Hmm? Well, it means it, it develops uh, because it has will. Uh, it can will in relation to either environment. If it has no environment to, to will in relation to, then it's just going to be still. Hmm? If you don't offer me any choices, what's the point of how can I exercise my will? So the jiva, independent of either of these environments, we say it, it, it has will and the exercise of it is what makes differences. So if you don't have an environment that offers you choices, well, you don't exercise your, your will, so to speak. Um, of course we do, for that matter. So for, for time without beginning on Adi Karma, We've been making choices. So we've, we've always been different in that sense. But the jiva has a sense of I am. I pointed out, and I think Dulal published it on the thread, that as I've said in many classes, I am this and I am that, that's all an illusion. This and that all fades away. But in all of the I am this or I am that, I'm American, I'm Indian, I'm black, I'm white, I'm a man, all those those things disappear, but I am is constant throughout. So the jiva has a sense of I am. And that I am is bigger than the entire personhood of material life. Not going from, you're not going away from to something smaller or something less, you're going to something bigger. Hmm? I am, I exist, I'm eternal. Hmm? Uh, I don't die, I am, I am. Hmm? Um, that is so big that people can rest in that eternally. Hmm? Um, the bliss of the Atma, Atmaram. Hmm? Well, this is the whole basis of the Bhagavatam. Sukadev was Atmaram. He was taking pleasure in the self and he had no desire therefore to interact with anything in the world and to take pleasure from. No, he had no desire. Hmm? He had no desire. He was self-satisfied. That's what it means, self-satisfied. No desire, no want for anything. Is that making him less of a person? <laughs> That's making him more full of a person. The person who wants less is more full, more complete. Hmm? If you have no wants, no desires, you're more complete. Now, the interesting thing, of course, about Sukadev, when, and which is central to the whole Bhagavatam, in that state of being more hmm, by having less, hmm, less is more. Hmm. He didn't become less of a person. He became more of a person. Hmm. His personhood was vacuous in relation to you know, material misidentification. He was here today and gone tomorrow. He came to the stable position of his actual reality. I am, that's, what's, that's, what, that's what exists. I exist, I am, this and that will come and go. I can't take it seriously, I am. And that 
the bliss of the Atma hmm, compared to all the enjoyment of material life put together uh, is exceeds it exponentially, if you will. Hmm? So he could just sit and be. Hmm? This is a like goal for people to become like that. Doesn't mean you're becoming an impersonalist, but he was living in the self. The self is comparable, you know, to Brahman. He was a Jivan Mukta. He hadn't entered into Brahman. And then what happened? He heard the Bhagavatam from outside of himself. Poems of the Bhagavatam came to him through the agency of Vyas, who sent them. And then they, they, they brought, they, as a result of that ingress of bhakti, now you have the ingress of the Swarup Shakti rather than the Maya Shakti. And then a personhood came out on that side which is of course permanent and enduring and is the very expression, Prem Swarup, uh, the expression of love. So uh, to say that the, that the jiva, unless it has an inherent spiritual desire that's somehow dormant, therefore it, it, it's, it's not a person and you're making it personal, no, 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 that's not the case at all. It has all the ingredients because it exists, it's conscious rather than inert. inert. Jiva Goswami says, it has a form, which means it actually exists independently from other jivas, it's delimited. Delimited means it has boundaries. What are the boundaries? Well, the scriptures say it's well, it's one ten thousand the size of the tip of a hair. What is meant by that? What's meant by that is in those times you could not dissect a tip of a hair ten thousand times. That would be impossible. You might be able to do that today with modern instruments and so forth. And you could say, there's the size of the jiva. We'd say, no, no. The, the scripture is in its time is saying ten thousand the size of the tip of a hair means you can't I mean it's like a point. What are the dimensions of a point? There are no dimensions to a point. But if you mathematically speaking, if you put a point next to another point and another one, you've got a line and that has dimensions. That's mystical, hmm? right? Points have no dimensions, but if you put them together, they have a, there's a line and it has dimensions, length, width, breadth, and so forth. Hmm? So the jiva is like a point. Hmm? And there are other points, so it's delimited. Ekarup Surupabak. means, and it has a nature. Here the word Surup means nature. And its nature is Chidanandatmika, that it's of the nature of uh, knowledge, consciousness. It's of the nature of consciousness and bliss, such as its nature. Uh, so, um, and it has, it is kartritva, bogtritva, gnatritva. So it has the capacity to be an agent, action, influence, that means it will. Kartritva, bogtritva means, gnatritva means it has the capacity to know, it's not inert. And bogtritva means it has the capacity for qualitative experiences, to experience qualitatively. That's very rich. Hmm? 
That's all inherent in the jiva. Hmm? But it needs an environment, obviously, to, ex to express those things. Hmm? Um, so you have the material environment, you have the spiritual environment, and the adaptability of the jiva to one or the other. Um, it's kind of a moot point in a sense to say, well, you know, what is the jiva independent of the two shakti? Because it's not independent of them. It's either either one side or the other. And, and we say metaphorically, sort of poetically, that if it merges in Brahman, it's from the bhakti point of view, that virtual doesn't exist. <laughs> I mean, it does, but it, uh, it, in terms of experience, it's potential to be a to be to express will to have quality of experiences. So, well, that's uh, lacking to say the least. So, if you really carefully study what Jiva Goswami says for the inherent uh, qualities of the jiva, you you could never you, you would be wrong to say that it unless it has an inherent spiritual desire, then it's not a person. No, it has a capacity for loving Krishna. Now you might ask the question further, well, if it has any, if the spiritual personality is eternal, then it has to be there forever. It can't be, have a beginning at some point. But um, of course, uh, the nature, what is being taught in the scriptures is that is that it to sit a Krishna Prem. Krishna Prem, the bhavas that make up Prem, they're eternal. So Sakya Bhava is eternal. Madhurya Prem is eternal. Vatsalya Prem is eternal. They're eternal. If they weren't eternal, then, then what can you say? Krishna wouldn't be this eternally the son of Yasoda. Wouldn't eternally be the friend of Sridham. He is. Hmm? So those, those uh, bhavas are eternal and there are personifications of them that are his associates. And he is the object that they, uh, of the love that they are. So they go together. You can't have one without the other. If you're gonna have Krishna as a person, uh, uh, in his human life form, and he has to have these associates that, <laughs> That he's the that that who personify the love that he's the object of. Hmm? They are the personifications, the sarup shakti that are causing uh, qualities, so to speak, to come out of Brahman. Hmm? Uh, so, um, and what that sarup shakti does is eternally express itself in newer and newer ways for the pleasure of Krishna. Hmm? So here's a question. Does Krishna have newer and newer leelas? Yes. How can they be eternal? If he has a new leela, how can it be eternal? Because it's, it's happening in, in the eternal uh, presence. So in Golok, there's eternal presence. In the spiritual world, there's eternal presence. Hmm? And the sarup shakti is eternally expressing itself in newer and newer ways for the pleasure of Krishna. And you are one of those ways. And there will be leelas also. New leelas. And you'll be a new member and so forth. But because the bhava is eternal, 
a particular expression of it maybe have not been expressed in eternal time but is at a certain point i mean it's kind of hard to talk about it obviously it's beyond time there's a sense of time in in goloka even though it's though it's it's time after time if you will <laughs> and sung about so um so that's our some thoughts came out hope that's of interest to you and helpful and you all may have some place where he could direct you or some things he could send you does that help yes thank you wow i um it was just brilliant the two points you made uh one being that the jiva is often referred to as like brahman and that the whole that whole understanding was very interesting and then secondly how shukadev in his atmarama position was influenced by bhagavatam by bhakti that way that was both points were just brilliant thank you okay thanks for asking glad to be helpful okay nice to talk with you all we've gone a little over time but um yes thank you so your much fault. it's your fault <laughs> <laughs> it's Pranada's fault. Yes, we can blame See it you on that. Right. Maharaj, Hare Krishna. Okay, just quick, quickly for any devotees that want to stay on just for a second to hear about the top of Vivek classes um, for coming up. Um, we have some, some new people in here. So on Monday, we have the Brahmara Gita, um, Pamanava Swami continuing that. Tuesday, we have Shamasundar Das is doing the importance and implication of prayer. And Wednesday, we have Dulal Chandra continuing his Krishna Sundarbas. On Thursday, I'm continuing to do the interviews on the beauty and messiness of a sadhaka's journey. And then on Fridays, we have um, Rigupad doing Patanjali Yoga Sutras, an overview for devotees. And on Saturdays, we have Kanuram doing the Master's Masters, the Gurus of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And then Sundays, we're back here with questions and answers. So, Archana? Yes. That is, you're, you're reading next month's um, schedule. Oh, this is next month's schedule. <laughs> Oh, thank you. Okay, so everybody, that's the schedule for next month. So um, <laughs> I don't have this month anymore. I guess I, yeah. So what? I guess you'll have to go on top of the bake and see what the classes are if you, but every day at 11.30 Eastern Standard, uh, Eastern Daylight Savings Time, we have a class. So you can tune in and see what's going on because they're all really good and um yeah it's just really wonderful to hear from all of our our um wonderful devotees in the sangha so thank you very much and um we'll see everybody soon Hare krishna, Hare krishna. Hare krishna. Hare krishna. Hare krishna.